What's going on, y'all? It's State Representative Brandon McGee, and it's Monday. It's that time again. We're here inside the room where we discuss politics, leadership, and culture. Uh, and as always, I want to thank each and every one of you uh, for thumbing through your phone and downloading FUBURadio.com app and just joining the culture and being a part of this very great movement. Um, you know, as we talked last week, we talked a lot about the verdict. We talked um, a little bit more about the vaccine. Shay shared with us her concerns and it was just an amazing time, but on the same token, it was also a stressful time um, as, as black people and uh, as a black male um, to really sit and watch the verdict. Uh, and I know I shared a few weeks ago um, how on the same token, I have been very hopeful uh, and frustrated at the same time. Uh, and so as always inside the room, uh, we seek uh, to engage in these types of conversations to really see where folks are, uh, but most importantly, uplift our community and our culture. Uh, and for that reason, um, our podcast, our segment on FUBU Radio has been a huge proponent of supporting emerging social entrepreneurs uh, in their journey towards success. Uh, and recently we have witnessed the world highlight the importance of small businesses, um, especially during this COVID pandemic, especially black and brown uh, businesses throughout the country. And so today I'm so extremely honored uh, that not only are we dedicating this episode uh, to that space uh, of supporting our small businesses, we have y'all, I'm gonna call him a social, media, uh, mogul, influencer, uh, none other than the attorney Jeff Caesar Chukama. Ah, oh, man, I messed that up. How so did I miss close. I was so close it. and I had it right. The right, W is silent. Go ahead. One more. You... Nope. <laughs> you gotta try. You gotta try. You gotta try. Get okay. it out. All right. All right. All right. Um, Chuma. Chakuma. Chakuma. Perfect. Jeez, yeah. Chakuma. Let's start that over. None <laughs> other than attorney Jeff Caesar Chakuma and his firm, the CHR Group. Attorney Chakuma was um, or has gained the attention of so many listeners using his influence, his social media platform to provide uh, legal advice related to our judicial system uh, and also addressing the very uh, issue that we've been talking about for so long, the systemic racism that persists throughout uh, this country and also within the judicial system. So as always, as always, y'all join me. Come on inside the room. Help me to gather folks from all walks of life uh, and help us to gain perspective on how we together can educate and uplift our communities. So again, we've like we'd like to welcome uh, Jeff to uh, our podcast. Jeff, welcome, man. Welcome. So glad to have you on. Appreciate it. I love it. I love everything you're doing. I love how you're inspiring and motivating everybody. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, man. That's what's up. So a little bit about um, attorney Jeff. Um, 
he is a founding and managing partner at Chukum. Chukum. Oh, Lord have mercy. This is so w, embarrassing. W Silent. W Silent. Chukuma. Chukuma. There Why do I make it so? I make it so difficult. Shay is gonna laugh at this one. Mm. Chukuma and oh, check this out. Um, Hildebrandt and Ray. Law Group. Uh, Law Group. Um, they practice. Their practice rather focuses primarily on criminal defense, complex civil litigation and personal injury, just to name a few of what uh, they all um, really hone in on in terms of their legal insight. Uh, however, what's really interesting to me is before founding the firm, um, Mr. Chikuma served as an assistant state attorney for Florida's 17th Judicial Circuit. Um, extremely impressive, y'all. I mean, he looks like he's 19. Uh, so to have such- Agent uh, backwards. <laughs> An impressive uh, resume is, is phenomenal. But during his tenure as a prosecutor, uh, he investigated and prosecuted a wide range of felony criminal cases, including but not limited to uh, drug trafficking, robbery, armed home, home invasion, and murder. Uh, he has tried over 50 criminal cases uh, to verdict. In addition to his legal practice, um, and I talked about this during the opening, He's cultivated an extensive online following on social media, having accumulated over 300,000, that's probably lowballing y'all, um, on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, just to name a few. My friend, tell us a little bit about yourself. What influenced you to be an attorney uh, and also to open up your practice? So my mother has a really big impact and influence on my life because I respect everything she's done her whole life. Um, she herself, she's a criminal defense attorney in Broward, here in Broward County. So from a very young age, you know, just watching her try her cases, how passionate she was about what she does and how I was able to see her help people. I always knew that um, that's the, the career path I wanted to follow. Now I say that saying, I didn't have too many options though. You know, <laughs> my parents are Nigerian. I'm fully Nigerian. Both of my parents are Nigerian. You know, there's a funny joke. You know, I don't know how much of it's a joke, but Nigerians will get me here. You know, you only have one of three options, doctor, lawyer, or engineer. And I happen to choose uh, the legal route. So yeah, my dad's an ER trauma doctor. My mom is um, an attorney. I'm the oldest of three. I'm a lawyer. My sister just finished medical school. My little brother just graduated from Harvard last may so wow congratulations <laughs> man well congratulations to your mom and your dad let's put it that way yeah for that's sure. amazing they did a great job each child got progressively better but yes yeah. he had um a huge impact on my um me wanting to be a lawyer but aside from that what i always like to tell people is that you know it's important to do what you love but it's equally important to do what you're good at right mm. so it doesn't matter how much i wanted to be in the nba or sing like Chris Brown when I was younger, I wasn't given that talent. I say that to say a lot of people, you know, follow dreams and not to say you don't follow your dream, but you also have to be realistic in yourself. Cause I know a lot of people who followed certain dreams, like I could have gone down that route and it wouldn't have mm -hmm. worked out. So it's important to do what you love, but also, also make sure um, you do what you love, right? So if it had not been for my parents, and I feel like this is a problem with a lot of um, African-Americans in our country, we don't have too many professional educated role models to look at. There's nothing wrong with being an athlete or entertainer, 
right? That's completely fine, but we must also have people who are in positions of power, both politically and educationally, that we could look up to, you know, as role models. Had it not been for my parents, I wouldn't have had that guidance in them, you know? And most African-Americans, our only role models are all we see is sports and entertainment, right? which is only only 1% of people make it in those industries, you know, and, but everybody feels shooting at the same hoop, but not making the shot, right? So mm. I think even why I have a following in the first place is that the, my diversity, you know, I'm still young, I travel, I have fun, you know, but I'm still professional, I'm educated. When I was younger, I thought, you know, something had to give that I couldn't live my life and still be an attorney or be a professional, but that's the furthest mm. thing. And I'm able to show that, like being a lawyer can be fun. Being a lawyer right. can't be cool, and it won't yeah. change the type of life you want to have, provided mm -hmm. you don't let it change you. You know, that's so. dope. That's dope. I, I, I mean, oftentimes people are so misled by social media and the perfect picture, and you know, the filters, etc. But I think what's most interesting about your platform is you really tell people like, you got to work for this. This, this just, I didn't just wake up. And I think one of the videos um, that the last video I saw where you, I think you start off with your phone kind of alarm going off and the clock and you, you know, you getting all GQ'd up going into the office. Um, talk to us a little bit about like your approach or philosophy to winning, um, winning in a case, but winning in life. I'd, I'd love to hear from your perspective, but in the reverse in life and then talk a little bit about what it means to you when you're representing a case and, and, and winning. So your approach or philosophy to winning or representing a case, but I want to add in in life as well. So my philosophy to winning in life is this, right? It doesn't matter how small it is. Each hmm. day, we should always progress to become a better version of ourselves. I don't like working out. I work out twice a day. I promise you, I don't like it. But I think it's necessary. How do you have time to work out? I've been trying to figure this out. I got two kids. My wife works full time. She's an attorney as well. Like, how do you figure this out? I'm no, sorry. I didn't mean to throw you off. But no, no, no problem. Everybody says there's not enough time. There's plenty of time. This is how you allocate your time. You know, I wake up for 30 You ain't got no kids, do you? None, none. None. <laughs> Not yet. I want three though. Okay, okay, okay. It's time for everything. Whether you're Elon Musk or, you know, it, it, there's just time, you know, and I only, I only average four or five hours of sleep. People say you need more. I don't. I guess I'm fortunate, but there's time mm. for everything. You just have to allocate your time. There's a lot of downtime that people waste, you know, mm. you're, you're home, you're just watching your favorite show, you know, or you're just on social media, you're laying on your bed, you get trapped in Instagram. That's time mm. that you could be applying to something else. You know, work, a lot of people work eight hours for someone else, come home, don't work on themselves, <laughs> you know? So there's, there's definitely time, you have to make time for everything. But going back to my philosophy on life is that every day you need to strive to become the best version of yourself. You know, school mm. doesn't teach us enough. You have to independently seek knowledge yourself, you know? And everything I do, it's for the betterment of myself as a whole to reach the goals that I want to attain, right? I recently started meditating a couple months ago. You know, just because I heard about the benefits. Well, I want to see if it's true. Let me apply it. You know, little things like that, that you have to go out of your way to do yourself. So what's the, right. what separates successful people from unsuccessful people is discipline and execution. Mm. We all have dreams. <laughs> you go, what do you want to do in five years? What do you want to do? Everybody knows. But the problem is people are not disciplined enough to do what it takes to execute to get there. It's easy mm. to do the thing. 
Anyone can have a dream. I want to do this. I wish I could do that. Okay, well, how are you going to go about doing it? Like you said, it doesn't come easy. You have to be disciplined enough to do it. You think I like waking up at five every day? Of course not. <laughs> you get more done by nine than most people do in a day. And that's, that's what right. reason. You feel like that's what reason. You know? So listen up, listen up, y'all. Y'all just tuning in. We have none other than the attorney, Chikuma. He's on here spitting some jewels, y'all. Uh, not only is he an attorney, um, he's a former prosecutor there in Florida. Uh, and also a social media influencer that's just not, you know, showing the exercise and body or, you know, showing all of his his clothes and fine jewelry. He's providing some very important um, philosophies, if you would, on life to a lot of followers on all of his platforms. I mean, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I wanted to make sure we're engaging folks as they come in. Um, so your philosophy on winning cases, representing and winning cases, because Clearly, you won a lot of cases. Yeah, so the, the biggest difference I've seen, which uh, relates to winning cases, but my time as a prosecutor, when you're a prosecutor, a lot of people think you represent the victim, right? That's not the case. You represent, in my case, the state of Florida. Representing mm. the state of Florida and prosecuting criminals, right? Not a victim. So I say that to say when you're a defense attorney now, you actually have clients. Everything is in the best interest of your client. Whatever is mm. in the best interest. Provided, of course, you don't overstep any ethical boundaries. That's but right. Instead of just representing the state of Florida and prosecuting a criminal, you know, the difference is you lose a trial as a prosecutor. Okay, cool. Nothing happens. Right. Well, you lose a client as a defense attorney and your client goes to jail or prison. See, that's a problem. You know, so the stakes ah. are a lot higher. So whatever it takes to make sure my client is in the best position, that's my philosophy um, in winning as far as it pertains to my, my legal profession. You know, and there, there are a lot of attorneys, not all attorneys put in the same work. You know, you mm. might pay an attorney a certain amount of money and they're just doing the bare minimum. You know, while I pride myself on always doing, going above and beyond all my clients, there's nothing worse than you pay your attorney a lot of money and you can't get a hold of them. <laughs> you know, they pay you. I know a few, I know a few of those. They don't text back. <laughs> you can't get a hold of them. They're not explaining anything. No, we don't do that. You know, so that's my. So. So really quickly, um, before we take a quick break and pay some bills, tell us a little bit about your pivot, right? Because you could have very well remained as a prosecutor, retired, have a had a beautiful pension, and 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 then go into this world of of starting your own practice. What made you wake up one day, or however long it took you, uh, to partner with your your current group of folks? Um, what made you make that change and take that leap of faith, right? What what was that? What can you tell young folk and people that are interested in really stepping out and starting their own business? Well, I always knew I wanted to have my own firm. I always knew I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney. Um, yeah, as far as my partners, I mean, I came up with this plan for law school. This is an eight year long plan, you know, with my partner. Wait, 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 pause. Say that again, eight years eight years in the making because people think they're supposed to wake up just came uh, yesterday and make a million dollars it just came to fruition in december i went to wow. school grad four years didn't take a break at all no summer off no semester off 
law school three years, no break. The reason I was a prosecutor was in preparation for being a defense attorney. I always tell people never hire a defense attorney who wasn't a former prosecutor. It's like playing with Tom Brady, having the playbook and then playing against him, right? Ooh. But it was yeah, necessary in order for me to get my experience. Now I'm a mm -hmm. defense attorney who knows exactly what the state needs to do to prove their cases, right? Which mm -hmm. will help me um, be able to combat it, but also give me courtroom and trial experience. There are attorneys who've been practicing for 10 years who don't have three trials. You know, so that experience was invaluable. But in being a prosecutor, what I realized is, so, you know, my friends, especially black people, you're a prosecutor, they freak out. You're the fed, yeah. which yeah. is very, and that's why it was very important for me to explain why as a prosecutor, I was in a better position to help people. Why is that? Because a defense attorney, I'm getting everything on the back end, right? As a prosecutor, I have the power from the inception of the case to decide whether I'm gonna choose, uh, whether I'm gonna prosecute. Or if something's wrong, if the police did something improper, whether I'm still gonna go forward. They're wow. in that because I have the ultimate decision, right? That's right. So, you know, and once people see it like that, you know, a bad stop, police officer does something improper, case gone, you know? Mm. You know, so people don't see it like that. They have to be, you know, you have to see it from both sides. You know, and that's what I realized in me be, being a prosecutor to get the experience uh, for my ultimate goal as being a defense attorney and having my own firm. Well, listen up, y'all. Y'all, If you just tuned in again, we're talking to attorney Chikuma. Uh, he's sharing, again, he's dropping jewels, uh, and I hope y'all taking notes. Um, so y'all keep it locked. Don't go nowhere. What's going on, y'all? If you're tuning in, uh, we are here with attorney uh, Chikuma. And he is giving us um, a lot of information, y'all, on his personal journey to becoming um, a leading attorney, not only a leading um, attorney, but a successful firm with his partners there uh, in Florida. Uh, he also dropped a couple jewels in terms of his mom. Anybody familiar with West Indian moms or folks from Nigeria, which attorney Chikuma is, uh, his, his roots go all the way back there. Uh, we live in strict homes uh, and our parents don't play. Uh, and so at all, right? <laughs> so um, I'm just glad that everybody's tuned in and we're talking about uh, the importance of supporting small businesses, uh, talking about his own personal journey. Uh, but I wanna pivot a little bit and I want to really tap into what the nation uh, is feeling right now, a little pain, a little victory, uh, but also a sense of urgency of now, meaning we have to continue the work. Uh, so um, tell me a little bit, you know, about your initial reaction when you, you first saw the video of Derek Chauvin, uh, his knee, his Chauvin's knee on George Floyd's neck. Um, and again, like I, during the pre-show, I told you, I've not watched the video. I read the transcript, but I've not watched the video uh, because it triggers um, a lot of stress um, and frustration, quite frankly. Uh, and, and, and that stress, stress and frustration usually rears its ugly head in, in some other places like back aches when you get a little older um and you're you're a little younger than me i think i don't know how old are you by the way 29 29 what yeah okay all right all right i ain't gonna tell you my age i'm 37. listen i gotta do two days in the gym uh, let me um, know. but talk to us a little bit about your initial reaction when you first saw that video 
I was going through many different emotions. I was mm. angry. I was sad. I was in disbelief. At times, it felt, I felt hopeless. Um, I, I just couldn't understand how this happened. To me, it's like we watched a modern-day lynching. We watched this man executed in front of the world, in front of the world to see. Now, what disturbed me most hmm. is that not even knowing that he was being recorded by multiple people could prevent him from killing George Floyd. Because typically, when you're doing something wrong and you're yep. being recorded, what do you do? You stop. Or you perform one or the other. <laughs> Which leads me to believe that he didn't care. He knew that even if he did this, nothing was going to happen. And that's what shocked me the most. You're literally being recorded by multiple people. You almost have a smirk on your face. Not even the fear of being recorded, you doing something improper could prevent you from killing that man. That, that, that's what did it for me. Wow. And I'm sure, did you take a look at the, the trial, uh, the Chauvin trial? Um, what were you thinking? I mean, as an attorney, a prosecutor, what were some of your thoughts? I mean, high level. Yeah, so I learned as a prosecutor that you never know how the jury is gonna come back. Never know. So that's why I believe the state had an extremely strong case. The video in and of itself, the video doesn't lie. The video is not biased. The video has no motive. The video literally speaks for itself. It's not every case where you have evidence that's strong. I mean, the jury was able to see him killing. The question of it was more so what caused his death, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, with that, I thought the state had an extremely um, strong case, but I didn't know how it was going to go. I thought he was going to be found guilty as charged on all counts, you know, and what I thought happened, but it was very nerve wracking because, you, you know, <laughs> seldom is it that we ever get to a trial where an yeah. officer kills a black man, let alone a guilty verdict. So right. when after the verdict, when people are like, it's not justice, it's accountability. Hmm. I did not like that. Only because to me, there is uh, there is justice in there finally being accountability. Hmm. Now, that's not to say there's not a lot more to do. There's so much we need to do, but this is a huge first step and we must keep the ball rolling. We must build momentum from this. You know, hmm. there is justice in there finally being accountability because usually they're not being held accountable, which yeah. would mean what? injustice, you know? Hmm. so. Well, I'm, you have me thinking on that very point in terms of the differences between justice and accountability. Um, I had a conversation with a few folks here in the state of Connecticut, uh, several interviews, what was my you know, reaction, how do I feel, all this stuff. And I started off with saying, or by saying, um, justice, it's been served. And I got a lot of pushback and people were like, well, I don't know if justice has actually been served um, just because he's, you know, been gu he's guilty on all three counts does not mean life is great. But in my mind, I'm like, yes, indeed, justice was served because uh, when was the last time we had a person, a white police officer, for that matter, the police chief speak against his colleagues speak against like that's that's against every blue code that, that there possibly is. People are um, confusing it with, with justice for everything. That's not what mm. we're 
Mm-hmm. about justice in this instance. No, his guilty verdict isn't going to bring George Floyd back. But right. the fact that he was finally found guilty and being held accountable, that is justice. Because what will injustice be? Hmm. Him not even, them not indicting him. Him not even having to face trial. That would be injustice. Breonna Taylor. Exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> we can, we him, can go down the him, list. Him going to trial and not getting, uh, and the jury not finding him guilty. So for them to say there's no justice, so if there's no justice now, what would that have been? Mm. Wow. Not, there's a lot more to do, but we need to build on it, you know? Take our victory and build on it. So so given given like the unrest or the recent unjust events um, that have taken place throughout our country, um, in your sphere uh, of influence, in your circles, have you noticed a change in dialogue and uh, representation throughout the legal legal sector, or is it still the same? I gotta like make my dollar. I, I'm good on all of that social justice stuff. Like, help us unpack that a little bit. So, what I've seen throughout the legal community, I can't say I've personally seen any particular change in the legal community. But let me tell you where I have seen change. I have seen change in people in general as a whole. People are fed up. People are over. It's a reoccurring, it's been reoccurring, but it's a lot more prevalent now because of all the videos and footage that we have, right? Mm -hmm. This is what I usually tell people. If the problems of the world aren't yours to begin with, Mm. how do you ever really care? And that's how I see racism in this country. Right. It doesn't mean that somebody um, who's white is racist, you know, it's just, it doesn't apply to them. The problems right. and the plight of African-Americans in this country don't apply to them. So why would they care? Let me give you an example. Syria. Something wrong happens in the world. Everybody on social media, Instagram, pray for Syria. Well, that's the extent of their care. Why? That was it. Because you're not the one who's living, fearing whether you're getting bombed by your own government, Russia or the United States. You're not mm-hmm. in the you know, mm-hmm. it's very easy to be like, pray for Syria, but that's the extent of your care because it doesn't personally affect you. Well, similarly with racism here in America, mm-hmm. it had to say, let me bring it full circle. The change that I've seen is people who it doesn't affect are now starting to care. Mm. That is the change that I've seen. People who it doesn't affect are now, it's not just minorities, African-Americans, people, yeah, yeah. Effect that are now starting to be like, okay, we have a problem here. This is not working. Something needs to change. And that's I mean, on on that on that point, which is very important to underscore. Um, I remember um, safely done last year. I attended a lot of protests. I spoke um, at many of them, but most of them, I I was just an active participant. And when I would speak before these thousands of, of young people, okay? Young people, college bound. Mm. Um, I didn't see all black folk. I saw an extremely diverse group of people who are just simply tired of the injustices. And to your point, there were so many of them who did not live in communities that have been disproportionately impacted. These have been people who live in their nice little communities. And really, if they if they wanted to, could just be like, I'm good. <laughs> I, leave me alone and I'll mind my business. And so I'm glad that you're able to pull that out and to really help us to understand that 
um, it's bigger than just what people want to make it. However, and I could hear Dr. Cornell West, uh, my distinguished fraternity brother say, race still matters. And it does. Uh, but I know even here in the General Assembly in the state of Connecticut, there are more white folk allying with black folk to figure out how can we coalesce a movement that would move the needle forward when you begin talking about serving justice to the people who have been most impacted. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm really, I, I get fired up when we start talking I, about I, this I, stuff I love it, man. I because love it. Um, I, we have so much work that we have to do. However, we do need to at least woosah for a moment when we have these small wins. Um, and that small win was uh, in, in that verdict um, uh, just about a week ago. So so in closing, from, from your, your perspective, um, what is a practical approach to enhancing the communications between law enforcement and our Black community? Not limited to, but I want it to be very intentional with my questioning. Um, how can we deepen that relationship? And by the way, we've been talking about this before you and I uh, were born <laughs> uh, in terms of the relationship between communities of color and law enforcement. What's your take on that? Yeah. There first has to be a willingness to listen, mm. right? A lot of the time when we try to have these dialogues, they're so emotionally charged. They're so contentious to the point where nobody wants to listen to one another, right? Mm. And in that, we must recognize and validate people's feelings, especially Black people, but mm -hmm. also law enforcement as well, right? That's part of the problem. Because without doing that, without there, without there being empathy, there can be no solution. There must first be But empathy. Jeff, there but Jeff. Solution. You just think, listen, okay, so we get a verdict, and then hours later, another young black person was shot. How can you tell me to listen to them? And I'm playing the devil's advocate. It helped me to understand how it. this goes. If you go into anything, just saying the other person is wrong, 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 without validating or listening to their concerns, you've already lost. There will, it won't mm. be a conversation. It won't okay. be a conversation because then they're going to be defensive and they're going to come back. And then, no, you need to understand where they're not saying, not admit they're right. That's right. The bottom line is, this is the bottom line of everything. The current state of policing is not working, period. What do we do about it? In order to have that discussion, we need to open up a dialogue. Why we can't have that dialogue is because when we try to, people are so contentious and emotionally charged, right? And a lot of that, especially in today's day and age, a big part of that is the media and social media. Everything mm -hmm. is about sound bites. Everything is about ratings. Everything is about clicks. Everything is about drama. Everything is about conflict, right? People don't want to hear anything that doesn't conform to their own world beliefs. With that, you have affirmation, information by affirmation, right? Mm -hmm. With that, it builds, it makes people more angry. Angry, angry. What does that anger cause? Resentment. Ultimately, mm -hmm. leading in, ultimately leading there to be no dialogue. Mm -hmm. So to bring everything full circle, there needs to be a willingness to listen. That doesn't necessarily mean you're saying, the police are right or justified in anything but just like black people have their concerns they do too so in order to have any dialogue whether it's this topic or any topic there has to be, you have to come to the table with open ears to listen otherwise there's no dialogue it's more contentious and we get no mm -hmm.
That's what's up. Well, again, thank you, man, for just taking time out on on a Wednesday uh, to be here. It looks like I'm looking in the reflection in your window. It's yeah. still beautiful outside. Yeah, yeah. I'm still in the office. I see you're yeah, working. Yeah. So one one last thing, leave the people with how they can follow you to add to your million followers on all your social media platform. Yes. Uh, and any final comments, man, and how people can just stay in touch with you. And we do have a listener listenership uh, in Miami, in the Florida area. Tell folks how to get in touch with you. Oh yeah, my social media, all my social media handles are IMCs. That's I-A-M-C-A-E-Z. You can find me there. You can follow me. Um, my firm page for my firm is CHR Law Group. And you guys send me a DM at my uh, phone number there as well. You could email me and yeah, I'm available. And again, uh, Mr. McGee, thank you for having me. This was amazing. I love everything you're doing. This is the fact that we ourselves could have this dialogue and have people listen. I believe it could help help us all, you know? So yeah. pretty dope. Well, after after 30 minutes, I'm glad I have your name correctly, Mr. Chikuma. Uh, uh, <laughs> Oh, there it is. So we stumbled our way up the hill, but no, I, I hopefully we can have you back um, just to kind of fill us in. And I wish nothing but great success, man, to you, uh, you, your entire family, and maybe we can get you and your mom on to talk and, and have two different perspectives in terms of right. law. That might be dope. So that's something to think about. Yeah. But as but as always, uh, thank you all for listening. Um, we'll see you, or rather, you'll hear us um, again next Monday uh, as we continue to gain a lot of perspective uh, to help us to educate and uplift our communities. Don't go nowhere, y'all.